Listen to this amazing vision. This is where I'm going to end up at in this message. This is where I hope we all end up at. After this, I looked, and there was an enormous crowd. No one could count all the people. They were from every race, tribe, nation, and language. They stood in front of the throne of the Lamb, dressed in white robes, holding palm branches in their hands. They called out in a loud voice, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Shout amen. Amen. Please be seated. Lord, we ask that you'd work a miracle or miracles today in our minds and in our hearts for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. On last week, I told you that the greatest champion of hope that the world has ever known is when God shows up in his son, Jesus Christ. I told you that there are two things that distinguish his champions. One is that they tend to overcome impossible odds. And when we think about where we are in terms of the challenge of race and violence, the odds seems to be impossible or at least improbable. And secondly, I told you that champions of hope tend to stand out in a crowd. And when we look at Jesus and read what John says about him, we're going to look at that chapter, that's the chapter one we're going to be focused on today because it's really about God showing up in human flesh, getting into our experience, and that's what we're going to have to do. When we look, look at that passage in verse 5 of chapter 1, uh, you'll you remember that it says these words, that, that his life was, uh, brought light to everyone. And that same Jesus says to us in Matthew uh, 5, 8, he says to us, now you are the light of the world. Right? And a town that sits on the hill cannot be hid. And back in that day, that when it got dark at night, it was, it was literally just deep dark. But these towns on these hills would be well lit and there would be light standing out in the darkness. And what Jesus is saying to those of us who are his followers is that, that we should be committed to being like him in terms of our character, our conduct, and our capacity to love across differences. And it should be said about you and about me and about us, especially in this season, our lives has brought light to everyone. I want to talk about a champion of hope today. Uh, His name is Vince Thayer. Uh, a few weeks ago, he heard a message that I preached, the first one around race relations. He disagreed with several uh, of the perspectives I've offered, and ultimately, he agreed to sit down with me in a one-on-one and let us videotape it, because I've been saying to you that the solution to this is that we, uh, the problem is the presence of fear and the absence of relationship. The solution is relationship which drives out so, uh, Vince is from uh, uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, the rural area. By the time he was three years old, he knew he wanted to change the financial trajectory of his uh, life, given his family context. By the time he was uh, uh, 11 years old, my daughter was here at 10. I wanted to make sure that she and my nephews heard this. By the time he, he was 11 years old, he had a job. And... <laughs> By the time he was 16 years old, he had saved up enough money to buy his own car. And by the time he was 23 years old, he owned his own business. 
And decades later, he's a successful businessman, and he's a member, he's a partner of NBCC, ready to be courageous enough to be a champion of hope and participate in this video segment. So put our hands, let's give God a hand praise. Let's roll the video. I want to just thank you for uh, hanging out with me, sharing, getting to know me about, getting to, allowing me to get a chance to know you better, and, uh, and then for us to have this dialogue. So what I'd really like, you shared with me several stories uh, of how race has impacted you uh, over your lifetime, and uh, just pick one or two of those stories in the context of, of what we're experiencing now in this country, and just share those stories with me. We're going to have a dialogue uh, back and forth about uh, our stories. Sure, no problem. Um, a couple of them we were talking about that, um, you know, because we kind of um, had this dialogue that I came in my radar of um, of looking to see what I could see in ordinary life. And one of them was, um, uh, for example, uh, we're working in Oakland, and uh, a, a gentleman, uh, a black American, comes by our table, our booth. We have a little event set up, uh, and my friend next to me, African-American guy, helping another African-American gentleman. And uh, another guy comes by, another African-American, and... Uh, approaches uh, the customer, shakes his hand, say, "Hey, how you doing? How you doing?" And then he goes over to my friend, "Hey, how you doing? How you doing?" And you know, I, I know my friend doesn't know the guy, mm-hmm. you know, but he goes on and catches the bus. But um, you know, and because we've been having this dialogue now and in church and learning about this, um, it came to me right away the fact that. He forgot to say hi to me. Hmm. So he spoke to the other. <laughs> he spoke to the other guys two gentlemen. That were there, yeah, totally ignored you. Totally ignored me. Moved on, and, and uh, we had a dialogue between me and my friend, just because we have this uh, dialogue a lot, and we talk about it very openly with each other. And and uh, he says, "Well, well, obviously, your friend is African My friend, yeah, African yeah. And he says to me, "Well, um, oh, come on now, you know, you know what's going on." You know, he's just saying hi because um, you know we're, we're we're black. You know, like so he didn't say hi to me because I'm because I'm white. What's going on? And mm. normally it's in one ear out the other ear. Right. You know, I've had this radar happening, so I've seen those little things, and and that happened uh, uh, the last time, well, two times ago, when I was in Oakland. All right. So what we're supposed to be doing is we've given you these cards. As a matter of fact, I suggest you get a couple of these cards. Because as you, the part that Saints were in, get engaged, being champions of hope, you may want to give this card to the person that you want to talk to across race or ethnic lines and say, look, these are the steps we want to take. In a sense, these are the rules that we kind of want to stay inside of. And so last week I explained to you, this is the what, these four are the what's. Today I want to talk to you about the how. How do we do it? So the first point, everybody see, let me see a card. Let me see a card, come on, throw it around. Oh, good, 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 good. Okay, follow along. The first one is listen to each other's story. This is the first step. He's sharing his story. My task is to listen without judgment or the need to persuade. Now, here's the insight I want to offer that, that helps you to execute that step. When I say listen, what I really mean is listen to learn. Everybody say learn. Learn, learn, learn. I don't know about his experience, his cultural context, his, his history. Uh, and so my task is to listen with an attitude that says, I want to learn. And that also then means that my focus is really 
a real disciplined focus on his pain. Last week, we talked about one of the things that make champions great, their choices. This week, one of the things that make champions successful is our ability to be disciplined. And it begins right here. Now, let me show you how this works. This glass represents me. Uh, and this glass represents him, and it's his, my pain is here, his pain is here, and here is the focus. Everybody say focus. My task is to move the focus off of me and my pain and put the focus as I'm listening to his story on him and his pain. Now, of course, as we engage in this as followers of Jesus, uh, we're not trying to be social workers. We're not trying to become experts in race relationships uh, and relations. What we're really trying to do is to become more like Jesus in our character, conduct, and capacity to care. So Jesus has a lot to teach us from the first chapter of John. In verse 10, for example, and before I say that, what I heard Vince say in that moment was that he felt invisible. That when the guy came in, African-American, spoke to his friend and ignored Vince, he felt invisible. Well, we learn from Jesus that God knows what it's like to feel invisible in him because in verse 10, it says that although Jesus created the world, when he came into the world, the world did not recognize him. So Jesus understands what it's like to want to be seen by others and yet be invisible. And then the next verse, verse 10 says, he came to his own people and even his own people rejected him. So Jesus knows what it's like to want to be embraced and to be rejected or excluded by others. How does God understand that? Well, in Jesus, he steps into our experience. And that's what we're doing in this type of dialogue. That what I'm supposed to be doing as I listen to Vince's story is that I'm stepping into his experience, suspending my need to judge or to persuade. Now, that's challenging, right? Because a lot of us, when we, when we confront these dialogues, it's kind of like double dutch. Y'all know what double dutch, dutch jump roping is? It's one of my favorite activities. And... <clears throat> <laughs> and whenever I come across some folk, usually little girls usually, and they're doing double dutch, I always say, can I, can I join in? And they're always kind of really surprised about the old man wants to do double dutch. And, and so they say, okay, you know, and they're doing the rope like this, they're doing the rope like this. And so I'm over here, right? I'm like this here. Get ready, 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 but that's how many of us approach these kind of conversations right right that 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 we're actually back waiting you know he's sharing he's pouring out his heart but we're waiting we're waiting we're waiting so that we can jump in and make our point jump in and pounce on them that's not what we do here This is about not winning a fight or an argument, focusing on his pain. 
Roll video. I have another story. Let me share that. So um, even the last time, which was just a couple days ago, that I was in Oakland, um, a lady comes by and drops off a bunch of flyers. Oh, actually, I've got one of them here. So um, she comes by and says, hey, we're having a job fair. I'd love it if you hand out these flyers, you know, for people that might need some jobs and need some work. I was like, yeah, no problem. No problem. I'll do that for you, you know, because we're in an area that, uh, you know, a lot of people need work. Sure. These people are looking for work and right. seeking work. Right. We're actually trying to hire out there as well. So, right. um, and they drop off flyer. She dropped off the flyers. I was like, oh, no, no problem. We'll, we'll do it for you. And <laughs> my friend turns to me and says, hey, do you know what it says on that? <laughs> you know, because we have the dialogue all the time, jokingly saying this to me. I'm like, no, what's it say? And uh, we read it right away. The title says, uh, Boys and Men of Color Job Fair. He mm. says, you know what that means, don't you? You're not allowed there. Mm. And I'm like thinking in my head, and I'm having a conversation with him. I said this to him. I was like, wouldn't this be the equivalent to a, a white-only restroom, a white-only drinking fountain? That happened in the 60s, 50s, and earlier. In the, this is happening today in America. Mm. The other way around. It's just a lot of times we're blind to it. We don't see it. We don't open our eyes. It goes in one ear and out the other with us. So it's just the only reason I, this came to me is because we're having the dialogue. Because we're having this dialogue. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. All right, here's the second point. This is what I'm supposed to be doing, right? He's telling his story. I'm listening to learn about his experience without judging or trying to persuade. And... With humility, everybody say humility. humility. Acknowledge each other's pain and lean towards empathizing and away from what? Criticizing. Right? Towards emphasizing, empathizing and away from criticizing. Now let me tell you, here's a moment of transparency. When he mentioned, isn't this equivalent to, and he ran through his examples and he essentially talked about the employment uh, issues uh, in terms of the job fair, my, my mind began to just begin to run. And because you know, I realized that in many communities, the unemployment rate among African Americans are twice or sometimes three times higher than their white counterparts. For example, in Ferguson, it's around 45, almost 50 percent in that community. But as I started thinking about that, notice what's going on with my focus? What's going on with my focus? See, it's moving away from his pain, and it's moving towards my pain. I'm focusing on my pain. Shout discipline. I need the discipline to keep my focus on his pain, his story at this moment. Now, but here's our tendency. You know, you're thinking about, you're thinking about that, and you say, well, 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 I, I want to educate him. I want to I I introduce him to the truth. I, I want him to, you know, he's got his truth, i got my truth, and there's the objective truth. But look, look, look at what's happening to my focus. But I want to be like who? I want to be like who? Jesus, right? And so Jesus teaches us in John 1, 14. Here's how Jesus handles it, right? The text says that, uh, and the word, Jesus, becomes a human being. And he is full of grace and what? All right? And he lives among us. Now, here's the deal. What comes first? Truth or grace? What comes first? Grace. Grace comes first. So I, I can't get to the truth unless I first begin with grace. And grace looks like in this, in this, in this scenario, my focusing on his pain. 
and suspending my need to argue or defend. Now, let's, let's look at it another way. So how do I focus on his pain? I'm looking for somebody who wears glasses. You wear glasses? Nobody wears glasses. I got glasses and can't tell people wear glasses. <laughs> Can I borrow your glasses? On your head. Those are shades. That doesn't work. May I borrow your glasses? Thank you. What's your name? Hey, Charlotte, it's good to see you. All right, praise God. All right, so, uh, so how does this work? How do I examine his pain? Well, in order to examine his pain, I need to be willing to pull off the lens through which I look at his pain. I got to pull off my lenses through which I look at his pain because my lenses consist of my cultural context, consist of my historical context, consist of my experiences, and I look at his pain through my lenses and I interpret it a certain way. So I want to pull off my lens and I want to do the best I can to put on a different set of lenses so that I can, see, 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 the, see she has much better eyes than I, so I just have problems. You see the point? So, because it looks different. So I'm trying to get to know his cultural context, his experiences. Whatever, and so I can look through at his pain through his lens as best as possible. Now, give God a hand praise for Charlotte who let me use her glasses. Good to see you. She now lives down south. She came back and visited us today. I'm so happy about that. <clears throat> So, all right, I'm looking through another set of lens. I'm looking through a lens. Well, how do I examine the pain? Everybody shout, how? how? I love the way you ask your questions. How do I examine it? Well, I begin by asking questions. I want to explore it. So I say something like, help me to understand X, Y, and Z from your perspective. I ask him. I ask the question. I say, how, how did it feel? When you experienced that experience, I ask questions. And I listen to, and that helps me to begin to look at his pain through his lens. Roll the video. All right, now let me just ask you, I mean, because part of what you've been saying to me, both in the email and here, is that you run across these incidents all the time. So you've just shared with me two incidents, mm -hmm. sitting with your friend and... African-American guy comes in, speaks to everybody, but you know it, you, you see this, uh, and uh, you're, you feel excluded from this. So what, what's the impact? Help me to understand from your perspective. Uh, well, what I see is I see all the time on the media, um, both news uh, outlets and uh, the social media, all the time where people are talking about white on black, white on black. Common theme happening right now in the news and across the country. And uh, you never, you probably haven't heard, I mean, it was never like division in the country today as it was maybe uh, five years ago, 10 years ago. We, we, we didn't hear it this often. It's just happening recently. And, uh, you know, um, I wanted to, to bring up that it does happen to us as well. You know, that uh, maybe we don't bring it up as, as much because Maybe people want to put labels to us if we say something. That usually we're quiet about it. It doesn't. We 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 don't think about it as Caucasians. Maybe we don't. And I hate just talking general terms at all. But mm -hmm. I believe everyone's an individual, mm -hmm. and they have their own perspective. But in my perspective, that uh, you know that uh, it ain't being expressed on the other side at all. It's it's being um, exploited all the time. 
um, uh, that white on black, but you never hear anything about uh, you know black on white or things like this that are very subtle that that could, uh, if the right person was here, could impact uh, negatively upon. So, how did this make you feel when you realized that the the guy had ignored, had not spoken to you, and kind of had moved on? That uh, how did you feel about that? What, what was the well, I mean, you know, I kind of think in perspective of not just me, uh, but possibly other individuals that you, you feel excluded. You know, you're not part of this little club. Like, you know, um, why didn't why didn't he come say hi to me? I didn't even have a customer. He had a customer speaking to him, but still, the, you know, this gentleman said hi, even interruptedly the conversation between the two of them, just to say hi and go out of his way to say hi to them. But here I am sitting alone. No customer in front of me, and he doesn't say hi at all to me. It, you know, it, I think I have, uh, um, I can see the perspective, you know, once it became focused of what happened uh, after the fact. But, you know, I didn't think, I probably didn't think anything right away, but then it all came together afterward. And you got later on hearing the messes, thinking about this whole race stuff, then you start reflecting on stories like that. Oh, right. And it yeah. becomes conscious of it. All right. Now, did you notice how, as he started to share, he said, what I see. It's his way of saying, I'm looking through, based on my lenses, my experience. That's fair. And you notice when I asked him, well, how did it make you feel? You know, most of us, we want to kind of distance ourselves from the pain. And so his initial reaction said, well, not so much me, but, you know, others. But then he made his way back around and he actually said, you know, ultimately, you know, felt excluded. And did you hear the pain in that when he said that? Excluded. Now, here's the great lesson, right? I don't have to agree with his analysis, nor do I have to agree with his conclusion in order to acknowledge and affirm his pain. Those are two different things. And right now I'm trying to understand, as I, I'm trying to understand his analysis and his conclusion by entering into, by focusing on his pain. Now the key word here is humility. Humility, everybody say humility. Humility. Say it correctly, yeah, thank you. Now, course I'm trying to be like who? Jesus. Jesus. Yes I'm trying to become more like him. So Paul tells me about how to exercise humility the right correct uh, the, the correct way in uh, in Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4. He says essentially there in verses 3 and 4 he says do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Watch this. Rather in humility Value others above yourself. And what he was really talking about is in a scenario like this, because they were fighting in a scenario like this, put the other pain in front of yours. Focus on that person's pain first. Then he goes on to say, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. Paul is saying that's what humility looks like. So it looks like to be humble. To put the other pain ahead of yours. So what, what, what Vince needs me to do is to demonstrate 
that I've actually heard his story. So what I need to do is to summarize it. And, and here's, you summarize by saying something like this. So I hear you say, come on, everybody say, I, I, I hear you saying, come on. All right. And then, then summarize what you've heard. Here's what I'm hearing you saying. And then affirm and acknowledge his pain by saying something like this. Wow. It, it, whenever anyone is being excluded, that has to hurt. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to experience that. It's the acknowledgement of his pain. Roll the video. I think anytime anyone feels excluded, especially because of race, I, I think that's just horrible. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'm sorry that you ended up feeling that way. And uh, you know, when you shared with me this card, and we talked about this, you say you could share the other side of the story as well in terms of of, of of how people could argue these different points. But at the end of the day, this is your story. Because I'm thinking in Oakland, there's probably lots of Caucasian, Mm -hmm. lots of non-colored individuals that need work, that need jobs, that are struggling. But you have companies on here listed very, very broadly, nothing to do with with um, looking for exactly a, a, a colored individual to work there. You got Target, Sprint, AT&T, Starbucks, and anyone is able to work for these jobs. Right. But they decided to exclude particular individuals, and that exclusion is something that I didn't think was fair. Right, right. right. And it leaves you feeling um, left out. Right. Right, right. Well, I'm sorry about that. I mean, I, I, like I said, I think that's extraordinarily painful. Anyone who feels excluded or left out especially because of race. Um, it's just a painful experience, just a painful experience. I want to thank you for sharing that uh, set of stories with me. Let me, if it's okay, may I share a story with you Absolutely. from, my, from yeah. my experience. Whether you agree with his analysis or not, you have to at least feel his pain. It's there. Now let me tell you, here's what Vince doesn't want, and, 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 and in a relationship like this, the other person gets to tell their story. You get to share your story. So this is the fact for all of us, right? No one who's sharing their story wants pity. Vince, Vince doesn't want me to feel sorrow, sorry for him. It's pity. What Vince wants is for me to feel, not to feel for him, but to feel with him. That's compassion. You know, if you take the word compassion and split it up and, and, and push it back to its roots, it has in it the word passion and, and, the, and the, the earliest root meaning behind the word passion is suffering. So that's where we get what is called the passion of Christ, is the suffering of Christ. And this notion of compassion come, suggests surrounding. And so, and so what, the, what, the, what the teaching of this moment is, what Vince really wants is for me to, sur- to take my heart and surround his suffering. That's what I want. When you hear my story, I want you to be able to take your heart and surround my suffering. I want you to be able to feel with me.
That's compassion. That's empathy. Not sympathy. Empathy. Roll the video. When we moved here, my daughter was uh, in a third grade, and uh, we moved to Palo Alto. She competed uh, during her third grade year at the top of her class. The top grade is uh, uh, called exceeding standards. And uh, she never received an exceeding standard grade, even though she was competing at the top of the uh, category of her peers in the class. Uh, went back and forth with the teacher, always had a different reason. Next year, um, uh, when she shifted in the fourth grade, same pattern occurred. Uh, the entire year, the teacher refused to give or would not give her an exceeding standard grade. So, final year, before the year started, we met with who the teacher was going to be, brought in school officials, uh, and brought the teacher in who had taught her in her fourth grade year. And we had a conference because we couldn't figure out why wouldn't you give her exceeding standard grades. And um, so we asked the teacher, look, she has an average of 95 on her math scores or had in your class last year. Why is this not an exceeding standard uh, grade? And uh, she didn't have an answer. Uh, she ultimately apologized uh, and, uh, and exited in tears. Um, the teacher that we were talking to, all three of these teachers were white uh, teachers, said, uh, her, who was going to be her fifth grade teacher, she said, look, if she earns a grade in this class, she'll get it. And true to her word, throughout the entire year, uh, Lauren achieved exceeding standard grades. Now, just to be put this in, in perspective, uh, that teacher uh, evaluated her students regularly during the course of the year and so in her first evaluation she said that Lauren was ahead of her peers about two years in the area of uh, math and science. Later on we decided not to put Lauren into middle school public school because we've had three years of this experience. Uh, for us this is just about unconscious bias. Lauren was an African-American kid and a predominantly white uh, classes uh, and um, unconscious bias is the only expression explanation for why we think she didn't get the grades that she deserved. Um, at the end of the school year, by the time she got to the end of the school year, we decided we were going to put her in private school. Uh, she had to take an ISEE test, which is this national test in order to get into private schools that folk take all over the country. She scored uh, when they calculated uh, all the students across the nation who took that test over three years, Lauren ranked in the top 5% nationwide across all race, all class, so forth. She took a standardized test, the California standardized test, at the very end of the year, scored a perfect score in English. So this is the caliber of student who for the last several years the teachers were refusing to give exceeding standards, while other students were getting exceeding standards. So that's, that was a very painful experience for us because uh, the nice way we said is that, because uh, all of our teachers we thought were nice, uh, was that this was just a clear kind of an unconscious bias that we think that African-American students 
in general score lower, perform lower than white students, and it has a way of creeping into the grading process. And we know that uh, Lauren experienced. Now the good news is that the her fourth grade teacher, uh, fifth grade teacher, was also a white teacher who uh, graded her as she achieved, and uh, and actually became just one of her best teachers. So. So while the woundedness occurred by white teachers, uh, the healing also occurred by a white teacher. And, uh, and that's kind of my most recent story of how we struggled with race in this country. Hmm. Sorry to hear that as well. Yeah. 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 It's not good when anyone is over, over, um, overlooked on things of, 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 of that effect. Okay, so now it's time. Vince has shared his story. I've focused, I've tried to understand his pain. Now I share my story. The focus moves back from Vince to my story. So, a uh, moment of transparency here. After I finished sharing my story, and that was a kind of long pause, uh, I was, my own thing it was, are you going to say something? Like, what's, what's up? <laughs> and then, and then, however, and he was thinking, he was thinking. And then when he spoke, he nailed it. You, you couldn't pick it up here, but given where we were sitting in proximity, the emotion of which he responded when he said, I'm, essentially, I'm sorry to hear that that really shouldn't have happened to anyone. The emotion with which he said that hit me right here. And, what, and my heart just completely opened up. It wasn't that I thought that for some reason I could persuaded him or convinced him, but what I felt was he actually feels me right now that's far more important than my trying to persuade him about anything he he he's he's having he he's feeling with me huge step forward my heart open up now uh here's a warning everybody shout no this is what you don't want to do. You don't want to come out of that moment or hear the other person's story and come into that experience with what I call a rebuttal story. You don't want to do that. By the way, the communication skills I'm teaching here will work just as easily among married people, among folk who are dating, among parents and children. So just, just listen, just take good notes. You can use these across the board. When it comes to tough conversations. All right, so let me give you an example of how this works in marriage, right? So the husband comes, finally musters up the courage and says, when he musters up the courage, he says, listen to his wife, I'm feeling neglected. And he shares a story to help her to communicate why he's feeling neglected. And the wife, she listens, and when he finishes, she says something like, well, I kind of understand how you can feel neglected because 
for the last six weeks, I've been waiting on you to empty the trash, and it is not empty. I know what neglect looks like. <laughs> now, here's what she has just done. He has exposed his heart. He's giving her his heart. And what she has just done, when she did that, she basically did that. Essentially said, it's not worth my time, or it's not important, or it's not significant. The only thing that's significant, she would be arguing, is her feelings. And when you do that, you do damage. You do real damage. So, no rebuttal stories, or examples, or analogies. You can ask questions. But ask questions for further clarity. Don't ask questions to facilitate debate. He, he could have legitimately asked me, well, how did you establish that this was racial as opposed to something else? And we would have been able to answer that in terms of, of, of how the formal process, what it produced. We could have answered that clearly. Because that, that would have been him exploring. He's just, I'm just trying to get clarity on, on you know, what this looks like in your life. And how did you get that? That would have been appropriate. Run the video. Oh, before you run the video, let me just say. I've heard a story. Let me just say. Vince, in advance, courageously makes this mistake. Because he doesn't know uh, about all of this, right? So he makes this mistake. And I come behind him. And I courageously make another mistake. Now, roll the video. I've heard a story recently, very very similar, but not with school, but with um, individuals that had to uh, be lifeguards in school of lifeguards. They had to learn how to be lifeguards. And um, people that had uh, better scoring scores, um, and, uh, and that included physical, that included uh, testing, included everything, they were overlooked. And they could not, you know, be in the top percentile where the good places are going to hire the people on top of their class. So they could not achieve that top percentile. Mm -hmm. However, the reason they were overlooked was because of affirmative action. Mm -hmm. Would you want a lifeguard that actually scored lower than the other guy, be the guy saving your life? So you're saying that, that these life, potential lifeguards were overlooked because they were white and not black, is that what you're suggesting? Correct. Okay. Okay. And then you have a lower scoring individual because they had to meet that criteria because of affirmative action. So uh, do you agree that affirmative action is not a good thing? Well, uh, I don't want to debate affirmative action. <laughs> <laughs> so the focus is supposed to be on my pain, but by raising this whole issue of affirmative action and through that rebuttal story, what happens? The focus goes back to his pain. Everybody go, no! No, 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 no. You've got to keep the focus here. You have to resist that. Now, why would he do that, right? Here's why he would do it. Because he's feeling a sense of, uh, he's feeling his own consciousness around uh, being a victim of injustice. The conversation is coming to an end. And he, he doesn't want this thing to end without giving it his best shot to, to do something about the injustice that he has experienced. So it creates that double dutch, right? 
It comes out of that honest, that honest place. Now, the fact is, though, my heart is open. So when he comes back with me here like this, there's a little pain. But, of course, then Peter comes. First Peter uh, 2, 4, I think is instructive here. Uh, it says, love one another deeply because love will cover over a multitude of sins. And this wasn't a sin that he did. So I would just say a multitude of mistakes. I had to remember this. None of us are perfect at this. This doesn't reflect his heart. It just reflects him trying to resolve the issue of injustice. That's that's what I need to do. All right? But then I come behind him. I'm more subtle at it, but I make just just as big of a mistake. Everybody shout, no! no! Watch what I do. Roll it. Well, it's a very similar example. But, but, but here's, here's, what I, here's what I, again, if, if I'm on the other side of this thing, I, first of all, I think that uh, we want lifeguards to anybody else. We want the people who are best equipped to serve. Well, I agree. Uh, and, and I think uh, uh, affirmative action. Or what if it was a brain surgeon? Brain surgeon, whatever. And you had to have brain surgery. I think at the end of the day, the argument is that you can find as many people of color um, to do these things uh, as uh, other people. And um, I agree. I, I agree. Trying to create a system to make sure that biases don't keep people out. I mean, right. Yes. All right. Everybody shout no. no. Okay. Here's what I'm doing. Here's the no that I. Sh- here, here's what I'm violating. I'm doing it subtly, but I'm debating. I'm debating him. And that should not happen. Really, I should be doing 1 Peter uh, uh, 2.23 right here because here, here's the instruction. Remember, I'm trying to be like who? Jesus. Jesus. That's my, I'm trying to become more like him. And so here's, here's what Peter teaches, how Jesus responds. When he was insulted or hurt, you can replace that with hurt, he did not answer back with an insult or with a corresponding hurt. No. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but placed his hopes in God, the righteous judge. So Jesus says, I'm not going to try to get you back. I'm not going to do tit for tat. I'm not going to get engaged with this. I'm going to keep my focus on what I'm here to do. And I'm here to be a part of your redemption and the world's redemption. That was Jesus said, I'm going to keep my focus and, and, and the heavenly father, he'll, he'll, he'll take everything else. So I shouldn't have engaged in a subtle debate. That was my, that was my propensity to do this double jump. Like, oh no, you're not going to get away with that. Are you gonna... right? What I should have done, mark these two words, write them down, mark these two words. I should have, everybody shout, refrain, shout it. Refrain. I should have refrained. I should have refrained from engaging in a debate. And I should have refocused. Shout, refocus. Refocus. Now, here's a good word. A lot of you are in relationships and you're expecting the person in your relationship to act a certain way, but they don't know what you're expecting. 
So you have to give them some insight, some guidance. So what I should have done was to try to refocus, not get a debate about affirmative action. By the way, as long as we're talking about affirmative action, we're not talking about his story. We're not talking about my story. Whenever you're talking about a government policy, you're not talking about each other's story. When you get out of each other's story, you're in a bad place. You're in the wrong place. In this particular relational meeting, it's about getting to know the other. So what I should have done was refocused it. Here's what I should have said. I'm, I'm not, I can't debate affirmative action. Let's get back focused on my pain. Can, can, what, what, can, can you, uh, what, what do I need to do to kind of help you to understand how it felt for me as a parent to have to go through that with my daughter? You have some questions to that you want to kind of unpack that. That's, that's where we are in this dialogue. That would have helped. And he would have come right there because he's got a great heart. He came in this thing with a great heart. He would have shifted. He would have said, oh, okay. And this would have been a better dialogue. Roll the video. Listen, can we close with prayer? Absolutely. Do you mind praying for me? Yeah. I'll pray for you. Yeah. All right. Lord Jesus, we come to you, Lord, that uh, in unity and togetherness that our words can make a difference, that we can impact the community in a way of such of showing our differences, Lord, and coming together and seeing each other's side and perspective and forming a solution, Lord God, that, um, that everyone is impacted by these issues in their own particular way. Lord, we just uh, come to you and hope that people come together and realize that everyone is created equal they don't judge individuals by the color of skin, but the content of their character, Lord God. We pray with you, Lord God, that that we can show that injustice is on both sides, Lord God, and we can come together in a unity as a community and, uh, and form a conclusion that uh, this is not what God intended on both sides and to create a division at all, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the honor of... Uh, praying with Vince and talking with Vince. I pray especially for Vince and those that Vince represent who feel wounded and hurt because also because of the color of their skin, they feel excluded and overlooked. And so God, we pray that you help, uh, first of all, that you, you'd be at work working healing uh, in the lives of those uh, who are white who feel uh, excluded, who feel overlooked because of the color of their skin. Uh, we know that's not right. We ask that you would uh, also uh, continue to help us to just level the, the field so that uh, uh, all of us, black and white, red and yellow and brown, all of us will be able to, uh, to be a part of a society uh, where we will be judged by the content of our character, not by the color of our skin, and help us to create that society, uh, beginning with both me and Vince. And I give you thanks for his courage of having this video, uh, doing this video. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, man, I want to thank you for doing this video, man, it took enormous courage for yeah. you to sit here and share these stories as honestly as you have. That's uh, what we call stretching towards the other, and uh, you're stretching towards me, we're stretching, uh, and let's keep 
thinking about uh, as we leave here, what God is saying to you, what God is saying to me about how we can go create this society, this culture as Christians. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that we know that God has called us to do. Absolutely. All right? Absolutely. All right, God bless you. Fellowship. Oh, put your hands together. Give God a hand, praise. Let me take the next four minutes and wrap this up. You look back at your card. Uh, third step is to pray for one another. And I want to say, here's how to pray specifically for each other. Vincent, an amazing job praying specifically for me, for the issues that he had heard and learned in the conversation, and then praying for the broader peace. And in reverse, I try to do the same thing. And in the process of praying, connect, touch. Notice we reached out and held hands. And if you don't want to hold hands, just put your hand on somebody's shoulders, right? On, on the shoulder, not on their legs. Don't touch my legs. <laughs> Everybody shout, connect. <laughs> so this whole process is about stretching. So you stretch uh, in prayer. And then uh, the last piece, uh, it says, the last step is stretch towards each other in a new way. How you end is as important as how you begin. This is why Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. The ending is as important as, 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 as how you begin. And so uh, make sure that you reach towards each other, shake each other's hands, or give each other a hug, right? That's, that's a part of the, the, the stretching, right? Even if you're feeling a little tense or whatever the case is. Uh, and, then, uh, uh, and then be sure to express your gratitude. Say thank you. I mean, everybody shout thank you. It's a big deal that, uh, that, that someone would sit down and have a conversation with you. That's huge. And then thirdly, ask God, what's, what's the next step? Is the next step for you to have another conversation a little later with this person? Or is the next step for you to go ahead and have eight, nine more of these conversations? You're just going to stay in this space, just keep learning. What, what's, what's the next step for you? See, when you're stretching, make sure you understand this, that, that this whole process is stretching. So, so you, should, you should feel uncomfortable. You should feel a little anger. You should feel a little guilt. You should feel a little exposure. You should feel some of these feelings because that comes with stretching. All right? And if you don't feel any of that, then something is a little wrong. Now, let me end it here. Uh, here's quick three fears that you need to know about, acknowledge, and then ignore. The first is the fear that this will be your only conversation. So you got to get it all done in this conversation. No. As a matter of fact, Vince and I had three conversations. An hour before this, we did the taping. And then, so the, the first conversation, the second is the taping. And the third, we had a much more robust. But then, because of that, we had a real relationship. And so we had a much more robust conversation. And he agreed with me on some things. I agreed with him on some things. We came, we could do that. So some of you will follow up. You'll come up with some, you're going to come out of this with some amazing relationships. But what if this is the only conversation? Fine. Trust the rest to God. The seed that you've planted is a seed of love and redemption and transformation. Secondly, the fear that, uh, that you, you're going to miss your opportunity to change somebody. Well, let me tell you something. You can't change anybody. So if there's a change that happened inside of this, it ought to be you changing. And if it's not changing your perspective, or at least change your heart. You can feel for somebody. It's not about changing someone. And thirdly, you miss your opportunity to vindicate yourself or your people. Well, this is not about vindication. This is about participating in Jesus' work of redemption. Redeeming. Hearing and loving and leading. Here's where we end with that wonderful passage. You remember that wonderful passage I read? We, in Revelation, you can throw it up there. I thought it was just a fabulous passage.
It's the future that we're working towards. It says, you know, they're in the middle of, you read the book of Revelation, you see by the time you get here, there's violence and judgment and all kinds of things that's happening. But then there's a pause right in the middle of it. God uh, works redemption for the nation of Israel through a process called sealing. And then the writer says, and after this, I look and I saw this enormous number. I don't know about y'all, but I'm hoping I'm in this. I'm, actually, I'm going to be in this number, all right? <laughs> this enormous number. Nobody could count this number. And it was made up of, of, of every race. That means African-Americans, Latino, and Asian, and, and Pacific Island, every race, every tribe, Hutus and Tutus and Kurds and, 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 uh, and, Sh- and Shunis and and, and Shiites, I mean, every tribe, every nation, Japan and America and Germany and Kenya and, and Ethiopia, I mean, every nation. And then every language was being spoken at the time. And, and it reminds me of a story of a woman who, who heart stopped beating for about a minute, minute and a half. They, they said she legally, in a sense, died, but she said she left and went to heaven. She went to heaven. And she came outside this big old wall. She heard this glorious singing. And then when she, when she went inside the wall, she saw this, 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 this huge crowd of people. There were all kinds of people, all different ethnicities and backgrounds. And they were singing in their, in their own language. They were singing in German. And they were singing in Spanish. They were singing in English. But they were singing the same hymn. And we get a sense of what this hymn is. Uh, a salvation comes from the Lord our God who sits on the throne. And from his and from the lamb, his son, right? And she said, but what was remarkable was that, that, that she could understand everything she heard. That's the future that we're working for. And then it says, they, they had on white robes. That robe meant both status and purity. Meaning, you know, no more big eyes and little U's. They were all big eyes in God's presence. Come on now. And, 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 they, and they had been redeemed from their past and they had the palm leaf, which was about being festival. And they were celebrating salvation. Another word for victory. Salve victory. Victory comes from the Lord. That's the future we're working for. That's what we're working towards. But we need champions of hope to help build that future. We need folk who say, I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to follow him. And I'm going to go out and have these relationships. So here's my question. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You know, Valerie, one of our partners, a white lady last week after the message was over, she wrote her name and number on four different papers, gave it out to four different African-Americans and said, if you want to talk, call me. What are you going to do? I had several people after the worship gathering was over, they turned to the person next to them and said, look, I'd love to just talk to you. Can we just talk right now and have a relational meeting? And one person said she left with a new friend. What are you going to do? One person, Angela Bird, uh, has started these cars. She's a PhD student and she's got several cars having these conversations. What are you going to do to make a difference? Well, some of you, you're not going to do anything today and, and, and because you're just not ready. And I get that, and that's okay. I believe God's still working for you, in you. The time will come. But for the rest of you saying, I'm ready to do something, let me give you four ways to do it. First of all, uh, hold up uh, show your connection card. Take your connection card, and under the response to the message, that includes next steps, right? Somebody may want to say, I want to connect to Jesus today. I, said, I didn't know that I, this was really all wrapped up in the following. If this is about Jesus, I want to follow him or be baptized or a small group. But under the re- if so, do that. But under the response to the message, 
I, here's what I want you to consider. You will take these four steps that I've just taught last week and this week. Connect four. Connect them to one of these four. I want you to simply do, I want you to write, I will, and then fill in the blank of these, one of these four things. I will have one-on-one relationships. You can put one-on-one conversations. You can put that there. One-on-one. I will have family chats. Maybe you and your family get together and watch one of these last three messages and talk about them. Talk about race. I will engage this in my life group. I'll do life groups, right? And so in your life groups, you're going to participate. That's where you're going to participate. Or I will have a community conversation. You say, you know what? What I want to do is sign up for one of these community groups that have about eight people diverse in it with a, with a trained facilitator because I'll feel safe in that. And, and, and I want to participate that way. Well, go sign up today. Sign up today. The scripture says, be ye do as the word, not just hear us, meaning as we try to do it. None of us are going to do it perfect. You see, I messed up, Vince messed up, but each time we do it, we get better and better. And the world changes one relationship, one conversation at a time. And I know the odds are against us, but champions go against the odds. And I know you might feel like you're, doing, you're standing out, in a, you know, out here by yourself, but that's what champions do. They stand out in the crowd. And I want to thank you for hanging out with us the last three weeks, and I want to thank you for being champions of hope. Let's pray. God, bless everyone here. Help us to kind of work this through. Help us, one, to hear that, you know what? There is something I can do. And if I take the step, I won't be taking it alone. Bless us to help bring forth the vision of Revelation 7, 9, 10. That's the world I want to live in. And I don't want to wait to heaven to get there. In Jesus' name, amen.